be appropriate if we all lift our hands right now. I want everybody to lift their hands and I want you to realize what this song is talking about, that we are blessed. We need to recognize our identity, that we are sons and daughters of Christ. We are sons and daughters of the King and you are blessed in the name of Jesus. You have the blessing of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe has blessed your life. Receive the blessing right now. Receive it right now. Recognize that he is with you, that he is for you, that he is fighting on your behalf, that he is waging war against the adversary for you right now. powerful, powerful, powerful presence of God that is in here this morning. Amen, amen, amen. In a service like this, with an atmosphere like this, I'm telling you, anything can happen. Anything can take place when you get in the presence of God. When you get in the presence of the King, anything is possible. Amen, amen. You may return to your seat this morning. I'm, I'm so excited to see what God's going to do in this service. Every time I come into a church service, I enter into it with an expectancy of the supernatural. We, we can't afford to enter a church service and just prepare to go through the motions. We have to enter into these doors expecting something great to happen. Because whenever you have an expectancy and you have faith built up, it doesn't matter what I preach. It, I could preach about tithing and you could still receive a miracle. You could still see something happen because you have the faith that is required. And the Bible says the faith as a mustard seed can move mountains. It's just a little bit of faith. Amen. Amen. But before I jump into the word, and you can go ahead and turn. We're going to Luke chapter 19. or Palm Sunday, so we're going to read some of the story of Palm Sunday from the account of Luke. I want to read Luke because he emphasizes more of the humanity of Jesus, and I want to show a little bit of that in this sermon. Um, but before I start, I just want to say, give a special thank you to Bishop and the pastoral staff for this opportunity to trust me and to preach for this uh, service, and I hope I make them proud. And uh, he's never heard me preach before, so uh, I'm sure he's just hoping I don't get up here and preach about three gods or something. And... Um, <laughs> Nevertheless, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do. I also give a special thank you to my father, who uh, without him, I wouldn't be here. He actually posted something on Facebook this morning. Um, and 11 years ago today, he posted on Facebook that I preached my first five-minute sermon. And um, I just want to say special thank you to him, because without him, I definitely wouldn't be here. I definitely wouldn't be preaching for you. And he's uh, very strong on building uh, leadership, as Pastor Jeremy taught this morning. And Pastor Jeremy did a really good job, and it's going to line up with some of the things I'm preaching about this morning about not about ourselves but it's about others okay so without any further ado let's go into the word starting at verse 37 and when he was come nigh even now at the descent of the mount of olives the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise god with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen they're praising god and verse 38 saying blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said to him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. So we have this. Let me just give 
let's just talk about it. Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem and they're praising him. This should be a happy occasion, right? I mean, they're recognizing who he is. He is getting praise. Jesus is happy, right? Verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. I want to focus on these next couple of scriptures. He wept over Jerusalem. Verse 42, saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, if you would have known the blessings I had for you, is what he's saying in here. But now they are hid from thine eyes, for the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and shall compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation this morning i just want to take a brief moment i want to preach to you for a couple moments on don't miss the moment don't miss the moment. Will you pray with me right now? Lord, we come before you and we just want to say thank you for your presence that's already here. Thank you for what you're already done and we thank you for what you're going to do. I pray, God, that you anoint me in every word that comes out of my mouth, that it be under the influence of the Holy Ghost. And I pray that your word will cut the heart of your people tonight, this morning, God. Let it cut their heart and challenge and convict and push us to be better men, better women, better Christians, better apostolics, all for thy name's sake. And we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. The narrative of the Bible is a narrative of love. From the very first scripture in the Bible to the very last scripture in Revelation, if you look closely enough, everything points to love. Every single story in the Bible, all the way from the ones that actually mention love to the stories that talk about genealogies and stuff that we don't understand, every single scripture is pointing to love. That is the narrative to the Bible. It's a story about how a God loved us so much that he would come down from heaven. He would leave heaven and he would wrap himself in flesh and he would give his life for us because he loved us that much that he'd be willing to do all that for us. He has a love for us that is deeper than anything that we can understand. He has a love for us that's deeper than the love we have for our parents, than the love we have for our spouse, our loved ones. His love is so deep that your brain can't even begin to comprehend it. It's a love that goes so deep that even at our worst, he loved us. That's, that's what gets me. That's, this verse, Romans 5 and 8, really shows me how much God loves us. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It just goes to show me that while Jesus was on that cross and he, was, and he was going through the suffering that came with that and he was going through the beating and the torture he had to go through, he wasn't dying for this Mac that's right behind the pulpit preaching. He was dying for the Mac that was at his absolute worst. He was dying for the Mac that was at the very, his very bottom, the one who betrayed God, the one who let God down, that's the Mac he died for. It's a love you can't even comprehend is what I'm trying to tell you this morning. It's a, it's a love that is that deep. So let me ask you this. For a God who loves us as much as that, do we, not, do we think that he knows about us? Do we think that he cares about our situation and where we're at? Do we believe that a God that loves us deep enough to do that has forgotten us? I mean, I'll be honest with you, and I'll say before you, there's been times where I feel like God's forgotten about me. There's been times where I've asked God, where are you? Do you not see what I'm doing? And it's, it's, it's just like a slap in the face. Every time when I read that Romans 5 and 8 that he died for me while I was yet a sinner. Of course he knows where you are. Of course he knows what you're dealing with. 
It says in his word that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So I want to assure you this morning that God knows where you are. God knows your situation. God knows what you're going through. God knows your brokenness. God knows your pain. God knows that you're in need of a miracle, whether it be financial, spiritual, physical, whatever it may be. God knows where you are, and God can still do everything. Can I tell somebody this morning that God is still victorious? He can still conquer the enemy. He can still set the captives free and heal the brokenhearted. He can still raise the dead. He can still move mountains. There is nothing too big for our God to do. He can do anything. So I want to start us off this morning by letting us know that God loves us and that God can do anything. Amen? Amen. Amen. I also want to tell you that it only takes a moment for God to do anything. I told you that God can do anything. It only takes him one moment and everything can change. It only takes one moment in the presence of God and your life will never be the same. One moment. I'm going to read you a quote by Bishop. I don't know how I found this, don't ask me, but I was just watching a YouTube video and I found Bishop and I listened to it. It was about a year ago as he preached and this was his quote. One encounter with Jesus is enough to change your life forever. One encounter with Jesus turns mistakes into miracles, pain into purpose, and turmoil into testimony. I'm telling you that it only takes one moment. One moment and you'll never be the same. One moment and you'll see breakthrough. One moment to be filled with his spirit. One moment for blessings to be upon your life. It takes one moment with Jesus to forgive a lifetime of sin. One moment. There are people who've been praying years for situations. There have been people who have been waiting for the promise of God on their life. There may be people here who have prophecies over your life that you're going to start a church or you're going to teach a Bible study somewhere or, or something along those lines, and you've been waiting to see the promise of God. And there may be some people that you have some loved ones in your family that you believe they're going to be saved, and you have a word from God that your family's going to see revival. The Church of Omaha may have a prophecy over it that we're going to see something great happen here in Omaha. And can I tell you, just because it hasn't happened yet, it may have been years and years and years, but it only takes one moment for all that to change. Let me show you. Let me show you. There was a man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. And he had been at this pool for 38 years. It said for 38 years he had an infirmity. And every single time at the pool of Bethesda, the water would trouble. And if you got in there first, you would receive a healing. You would be made whole. So for 38 years, this man dealt with this infirmity, and he tried to get into the water. Start at verse 7 for me, please. The impotent man answered him and said, Jesus came, and he's talking to the man. The impotent man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. Don't go to the next verse yet. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. First of all, I want to just sidetrack and look at this. and Notice that he says, but while I am coming, another steppeth down in front of me. Notice he didn't say that while I'm waiting, while I'm sitting, the water gets troubled, I'm just going to sit and hope that somebody comes and helps me. No, the man doesn't say that. He says, when the water is troubled, even with my infirmity, I still press towards it. I still go towards it. He wasn't satisfied in his infirmity. He wasn't fine with just waiting any longer, but he, every time the water was troubled, he would press towards it, even though he was crippled or in, in, had an infirmity of some type. So for 38 years, he struggled. How long have you been waiting? Hopefully not 38 years, but if you, even have, if you have, so did this man. And watch what happens in verse 8. Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And verse 9, and immediately, 
the man was made whole and took up his bed. No, no, no. It didn't, it didn't say, and in two years, Jesus said, you can walk again or you, you'll be whole again. No, it says, and immediately, 38 years are gone because this one moment with Jesus, there is immediate restoration in his life. It happens just like that. It takes one moment with Jesus for lives to change. See, man, we deal in years. We deal in months. We deal in hours. But God deals in moments. It only takes a moment for God to change your life. It only took a moment for God to heal the woman who had the issue of blood, who just touched his garment, and immediately she was made whole. It only takes a moment with Jesus. So let me encourage you this morning that you may be struggling or fighting and you may not know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. But if you can just get into the presence of God, let me tell you that anything can happen. And in this service, if you capture your moment, you don't have to leave here the same way that you came in. We can't afford to miss a moment with Jesus. Life is too short. Time is too valuable, and there is no time that we can afford to miss a moment in the presence of God. And can I mention also, especially in the time that we are in today, with how the world is at this moment, we can't afford to miss a moment with Jesus because it only takes one moment. Going back to our original story, we read that Jesus comes to the edge of Jerusalem, and I just picture him at the edge just looking over the whole city and seeing everything, and it says he begins to weep. Why is Jesus weeping on this day that is supposed to be happy? It's his triumphal entry, and, you know, he's being praised. He's called a king. Why is Jesus weeping? As Jesus begins to weep, he speaks of the impending doom on the city of Jerusalem and its inhabitants. And when it is time to give his reason behind the destruction and the reason behind his weeping, he says it in verse 44, and he simply says this, Because thou knewest not the time. Of thy visitation. The reason behind it all was the fact that the people missed their moment. They missed their moment with Jesus. They missed their moment for that visitation with God. And that's why he was weeping, because they missed the moment. Whenever I think of people missing a moment, I think of the story of Saul. Saul is, is one of my favorite characters, King Saul is one of my favorite characters in the Bible for a reason that I don't want to be like him, I'll be honest. When we talk about King Saul, you know, we talk about a man who, who had all the potential to be the greatest king ever. We talk about a man who had all the potential in the world. And this is just my personal opinion. This is the Mac Hunter would take. I believe that if Saul wouldn't have missed his moments and would have done what he was supposed to, we wouldn't even know about David. Uh, and that's my, that's not, that's not Bible. That's just me. So don't, you don't have to, you know, if you want to yell at me later, you can. But um, that's just my interpretation. If Saul wouldn't have missed his moments, there would have been a need for David. See, on, on that battleground with Goliath, if Saul would have just done what he was supposed to. See, Saul was supposed to be the king. Saul was supposed to have relationship with God. Saul was supposed to realize who was on his side, but he let the moment pass him by. And there was a young man named David who said, I won't let this moment pass me by. I won't let this opportunity slip from me. I won't miss the moment. And Saul missed the moment. And that's why we talk about Saul. And you talk about David and not Saul as much. See, and, and later on they say that Saul slayed his thousands and, and David slayed his tens of thousands. You know why? Because Saul missed his moments. And David didn't. We as a church cannot be a Saul. We as individuals cannot be a Saul, but we must recognize the time of visitation. Yeah. 
And when the moment is present, we need to act. When it's time to pray, we need to pray. When it's time to be the church and operate in the supernatural, we have to be the church. When it's time to lay hands on the sick, we have to lay hands on the sick. When it's time to teach a Bible study, we have to teach a Bible study. And we can't let the moment slip us by. See, Jesus wept while, while he was here in the flesh for the people that missed the opportunity. He wept for them. Why? Because he loved them that much. He didn't want them to be destroyed. He loved them. He wanted them to have the blessing. See, today we are Jesus. If you've been filled with the Spirit of God, you have Jesus within you. We as the church are the hands and feet of Christ. We are the physical representation of Jesus today. We are the ones that spread the gospel today. We are Jesus in this story. And we have to weep over the lost ones who need a moment, who need somebody in their life to reach them, who need this gospel to save them. See, we are Jesus on earth. We are his vessel. Galatians 2 and 20, I'm going to read in the ESV. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not Mac Underwood that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. We are Jesus in this story. And we have to spread this gospel. We have, to, we have to take this moment and go spread it. And we have to take this faith and spread it. As Pastor Jeremy said this morning, we are called to contend the faith. We are called to reach the lost. We are, we are more than just called, as, as Bishop said Sunday, and as Pastor Jeremy said again this morning, we are not, God did not die on the cross so we could come to church three times a week. We have a higher calling. We have a higher purpose. Amen. We have that calling on our lives. See, musicians, you may be called to music, but you have a higher calling on your life, and that's the calling to reach the lost. See, see, Sunday school teachers, you may have a calling on your life to teach Sunday school, but don't forget there's a more important calling, and it's called reaching the lost. And church, you may have a special calling on your life to go somewhere extravagant and preach the gospel, but your first calling is to reach souls. We can't let the moment slip us by to spread this message of Christ dying on a cross so that we can have eternal life. If you learn to take your moments, you'll realize that it only takes one Bible study and you can see something change. It only takes you to pray for a person one time. You remember when I was talking about earlier that it only takes a moment in the presence of Jesus? You bring that presence of Jesus everywhere you go. And when you walk, it only takes one prayer and one, one time for you to lay your hands on somebody and you can see a change. We have to have that mentality of leadership, others first. Who can I reach? We are the church. We are the city on a hill. And it is our job to preach this gospel. I want to look at the story of Elisha and Naaman. See, Naaman was a good man is what the word of God says. And it said he had leprosy. And he was sent to the king of Israel. And they were giving, gave him some money and some clothes and some garments. And he was a good man. He had a lot of power behind him. And he goes to the king of Israel because he was told in Israel that there would be somebody there that could save him. And he goes to the king of Israel and he tells him why he's there. And the king of Israel gets upset and he tears up his clothes and he says, are you trying to start a fight with me? Because you know I can't heal you, basically, is what he said. Yeah. And, and he gets upset. And Elisha heard this in 2 Kings 5 and 8. And he says one of my favorite lines, I think, in the Bible. 2 Kings 5 and 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. 
See, what Elisha said is, I understand that you can't find healing elsewhere. Yeah, I understand you've been looking in the world for that spot to heal your heart. And I know that you can't find fulfillment out in the world, you know, in, in meaningless sex and in, and, and in drugs and, and just into the, in this world. There's nothing there that can fill it. But come to me, and I'll show you that there's still a prophet in Israel. See, this is the mentality that the church has to have, that, that the people in the world that can't find the answers out there, we as the church have to say, come to TCOO, and let me show you that there is still a church in Omaha that believes that the miraculous can happen, that still are filled with the Spirit of God, that still believe that you can receive Jesus. We have to have that mentality, send them to me, and I will show you there is a prophet. It's our duty to have that mindset, to reach the unreachable. It is our job as the church to do that. So I pray as we go through this next week and the moment comes by for us to take that opportunity, you say as Elisha said, come to me. Let me show you that there are still people that have a relationship with the king. Let me show you there are still people who believe in the supernatural. Amen. You can stand with me. I'm coming to close musicians. You can come as well. In our original story, I want you to picture Jesus at the edge of Jerusalem with me. As he looks over the city, he looks over all the souls that are there, and he knows what's coming. He knows that there's an impending doom coming upon Jerusalem. And he begins to weep because he loves all the souls in that city. He begins to weep because in that city are people he loves and he, who he cares about. And Jesus has a burden for the lost. And Jesus has a burden for those people. And it says he began to weep because he was truly sad that they were going to be destroyed. So Church of Omaha, I ask us a question this evening as we close. Do we still weep for the lost? Do we still have a perspective that the church is here for lost souls? Do we still recognize the great commission over the church? Do we still realize that we are here for a purpose that is higher than ourselves? It's about more, I, I want to see you in heaven, and I hope you take care of your salvation. That's first and foremost. But you also have a calling to take others with you. Do we still weep for the lost? As Jesus looked over Jerusalem, do you look over Omaha and weep for everybody who is not saved, and at any moment they can die and go to eternity, and we don't know where they're going to go? Does that scare you? Does that keep you up at night? I think this morning that we need to recognize who we are, and we need to pray for a fresh burden for the lost, a fresh burden on our church for souls. I'm going to leave you at this, and I'm going to give you one quote, and I'm done. After this, we can pray. These altars are open. I'm going to leave you with a quote. And this is a quote that, that's not a cute quote. It's not a quote that's easy to hear. It's, it's a quote that honestly convicts me every time I hear it. I hate this quote. I'm going to be honest with you because it, it convicts me, but it it's, has a purpose. And it's by Charles Spurgeon. I'm going to read it to you. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, begging them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go to hell. Don't let one go to hell being unwarned or unprayed for. This morning I issue the challenge for us of getting a fresh burden for souls and a fresh burden for the lost. There are people that need your ministry. There are people that need the Church of Omaha. We are not dismissed as uh, later whenever we're dismissed. We are deployed and you are only deployed if you have a mission. You are only deployed if you have a goal and we have a goal.
We are called to reach others. These altars are open right now. I believe it'd be appropriate if we pray wherever you're at, however you want to do it. Let's begin to pray right now.